Today's reading is from the Common English Bible, Ephesians 1, 13 through 19. You too heard the word of truth in Christ, which is the good news of your salvation. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit because you believed in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the down payment on your inheritance, which is applied toward your redemption as God's own people, resulting in the honor of God's glory. Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, this is the reason that I don't stop giving thanks to God for you when I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that makes God known to you. I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call, what is the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers, and what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working among us as believers. This power is conferred by the energy of God's powerful strength. Ephesians 1, 13 through 19. When I'm killing a bit of time online, one of my favorite things to read is predictions of what life in the future will look like say, in 2050 or 2100. Now, granted, if you'd asked us in January, none of us would have predicted that by April we'd be wearing socks on our faces and planning grocery runs with the delicacy of a lunar mission. So clearly, the future can surprise us. But still, if you don't get too worked up about the exact timelines, there are certain developments ahead for the world that seem just pretty likely. For example, in the future, forest fires will probably be fought with sound waves instead of water. New 3D printers can print entire houses. We appear to be well on our way to resurrecting the woolly mammoth, which might just be our greatest achievement as a human species. Computers are under development that can be operated just with the movement of your eyes. Gene editing will soon make it possible to select for any trait, including much higher than normal intelligence. Making the birth of superhumans seem to many experts as almost inevitable. We all know that the world changes, and not always for the better. No matter how amazing the technologies we invent, the problem with the future is, presumably, we humans will still be there, having brought all of our problems and our pathologies with us. Over the past couple weeks, we've been vividly reminded of this as we've heard the cries of anger and fear and grief filling up our streets. All of us would have liked to believe that by 2020, things would be better. We're sending human beings to Mars, for heaven's sake. But it turns out that fear and greed and racism and death are just as present with us now as they've ever been. Israel began to talk a lot about the future in the later years of the Old Testament period, probably because the present wasn't looking so hot. For centuries, the people and their leaders had promoted injustice and had pursued wealth and power over God. As a result, they'd lost their homes and their temple and their freedom. 
Things were frankly a real mess. But their prophets told them things wouldn't be like this forever. One day, this present age and the world as they knew it, with its sin and injustice and death, would come to this sudden stop. And then a new age, a whole new world under God's rule would begin. The prophet Jeremiah describes what this new age to come will look like. He says this, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. It won't be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. I will put my instructions within them and engrave them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will no longer need to teach each other to say, know the Lord because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Uh, The prophet Ezekiel offers a very similar description of the age that's coming. From Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove the stony heart from your body and replace it with a living one. And I will give you my spirit so that you may walk according to my regulations and carefully observe my case laws. So uh, according to the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel, what makes this future age to come so different from the present? Well, right now people mostly follow or often don't a set of rules that they've been taught about right and wrong. Uh, They might follow a religion But in the age to come, God will send the Spirit and everyone will have a chance to know God personally. Instead of dictating behavior from the outside in, the Spirit will transform people from the inside out so that they begin to actually see what God sees and want what God wants. Sounds pretty good, right? Uh, So so to summarize here, uh, here's the basic timeline as the people of Israel expected it. There's the present age. There's the world as we know it now, which will continue as a mess, until, bang, just like a meteor striking, the end will come. The dead will be raised. And then the new world will begin, the age of the Spirit, an age in which God's will will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. When Jesus comes, he starts preaching about God's kingdom, that future age that everybody is expecting. He says that age is near, that it's about to begin. And then he's resurrected from the dead, and on Pentecost, he sends the Holy Spirit. Remember, resurrection and the Spirit, these were exactly what the prophets said would be markers of that future age arriving. So what does that mean? We've arrived. The long-anticipated age to come has officially started. Except, while Jesus is resurrected, it turns out that everyone else is still dead. And the present age, that messed up world as we knew it, it didn't suddenly end. The anticipated timeline here turned out to be a little bit off. It turns out that there's going to be an unexpected period of overlap. 
a period where the old world and the new world, the present age and the age to come are sort of running on parallel tracks. Some people will keep right on living the, the messed up normal of the present, not even realizing they're on a train whose track is about to suddenly run out. Uh, other people will accept Jesus' forgiveness, receive his spirit, and change trains at the station. They'll start off living the life of the future right now. In Ephesians 1 verse 13, Paul describes the spirit as a seal. You might say the spirit is like God's stamp on our passport, marking us as kingdom bound. In verse 14, Paul calls the spirit a down payment on our inheritance. What he means by down payment is the spirit is like a little bit of the future given to us now in the present. It's the promise of much more to follow. According to Paul, the church isn't just a group of Jesus followers. We are spirit people, and that means we are people of the future. The church is a gathering of people who are living this life, the life of the future, right now, here in the present. I just recently began to catch on to what Paul is talking about, and now I can't get over this thought. Christianity has a bad reputation for living in the past. Christians are often perceived as people who defend the status quo, who stand in the way of progress, who exist to preserve what was. But our job description is actually completely the opposite. We aren't meant to be reminders of 1500. We are visitors from 3500, bringing hope and a vision of a better way. We are meant to look strange like the future is strange. Our lives are meant to look now what everybody's life will look like someday when Jesus' kingdom is the only thing that remains. I think many of us tend to miss this vision when we start talking about the Christian life or Christian morality. We Christians are not people of the law. We don't follow some set of outdated rules. It's not our job to preserve some ancient religious system. For us, there is only one question that truly governs our behavior. Is this what the future in Jesus' kingdom will look like? That's the standard. We learn from Jesus what the future looks like, and we accept the Spirit's empowerment to start living that future out right now. So let's ask the practical question here. I mean, what does the future look like? And this is exactly the question I think the church should be talking about together. I don't claim that here by myself I have all the answers, but I think there are at least a few things that we've learned from Jesus that we can expect from the future for sure. In the future, in God's kingdom, there will be no rich and poor because we'll belong to each other. In the future, we will have deep relationships that transcend borders and racial and ethnic divides because Jesus has broken down the walls between us. In the future, we'll still engage technology and human ingenuity, but we'll do it in ways that bring out our humanity and don't tarnish it because we'll, we will have learned that wisdom from the ultimate creator. 
In the future, sexuality will be expressed, whatever that looks like, with faithfulness and commitment and mutual self-giving because we'll love each other as Christ has loved us. In the future, there will be no violence or no coercion, period, because all the power that exists will be formed in the shape of a cross. These are just a few key elements of the future that I believe we've been told to expect. So the follow-up question becomes, uh, what does it look like for us to begin to live the life of that future in the present, right now? I mean, to be clear, this, this future life that we're supposed to be living, it isn't possible for just anyone to pick up. It's a way of life that is powered by the Spirit, the Spirit of whose age it is. No one can live it without the Spirit, any more than we can cross the universe with the rockets that so far have got us to the moon. It's a whole different thing. A whole new level of power is needed to make this project viable. We, the church, we have possibilities of life together that are unthinkable to the rest of the world because we are operating with the power source of the future already living inside us. While the world is still reaching for the moon, we are bringing stories back from new galaxies. We are future people. That's our invitation. That's our mission. That is the life we were created for. We inhabit the overlap, the in-between space, living the life of the future as if it were now. Because of the Spirit, we have the power and the privilege of becoming early adopters. So my question for you is this. What future do you think Jesus has taught us to expect? And what would it look like for us to start living that future, that tomorrow, together, right now? I invite you to pray with me. God, what a surprising and amazing thing that you are doing in the midst of the world and in the midst of the church. By the power of your spirit, powered by your spirit, you have brought visitors from the future into this world to show what the future looks like and what is possible. God, we pray that you would give us the vision, the wisdom, the creativity, the passion, the artistry to know what it looks like to be becoming that future people. Stretch us, stir us, begin to challenge us through the voices of each other to imagine how every piece of life can be different. Teach us by your word, by the example of Jesus, what that future is. And give us the courage to take new leaps by your spirit in beginning to live that right here and now. In the name of Jesus, the one who goes ahead of us, the firstborn of the future, we pray. Amen.